Thanks for tuning in to My Weight Live, the podcast where we talk to medical experts about the latest research and how you can apply it to reaching your best weight. If you'd like to learn more, visit us at myweightwhattoknow.com or search My Weight What to Know on Facebook. We're always posting new articles, videos, and tools that make living a healthy life easier. Tonight, we're talking about CBT as a tool for reaching a healthier weight with medical expert, Dr. Sandy Van. Dr. Van, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me, Ansley. So let's start at a high level. What is cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT? CBT is one of the most common forms of psychotherapy. Uh, It's based on the premise that your thoughts influence your behaviors and your emotions. And one of the core tenets of CBT is to change the way you think, also known as cognitive restructuring. And the reason for that is that the idea is that if you change the way you think, you can change your behavior and the subsequent emotions. Um, It was originally developed to manage a diverse range of mental health conditions, notably depression, anxiety, or eating disorders. But not everyone who benefits from CBT has a mental health condition. It can be really effective to help anyone with stress management, or there's been a lot of data uh, to support its use in the area of weight management. So we'll talk about the specific process of how to do CBT and how someone might get started using it. But first, let's talk about why it's something worth exploring for reaching a healthier weight. How can it help people who are trying to do that? Study after study indicates that while many succeed in losing weight, uh, losing some weight with a diet, that the long-term results are overwhelmingly poor. Most people living with obesity know what to do. They understand nutrition. They understand every diet under the sun, but knowing how is the missing link. So how do you stick to a diet in the face of stress? How do you stick to a diet in the face of celebrating or feeling lonely? Uh, That's where CBT comes into play. Okay, Dr. Van, let's let's get into the nitty-gritty here. Let's say it's eight o'clock at night, I'm watching Netflix and really wanting some chocolate. Walk me through how I might use CBT to avoid that temptation and kind of stay on track. Oh, we've all been there, <laughs> right? Okay, so let's put the four-step process of CBT into play here. And let me start by saying that as a disclaimer that um, this works to varying degrees with different individuals and that people in general who live with obesity or overweight may have different um, uh, sensitivities or vulnerabilities when it comes to urges. So I'm not saying that this is a foolproof plan that works immediately once you start using it. It is something that requires repetition and practice and works differently for everybody. So let's put the four-step process into play. Um, The first step is really to increase your awareness of the thoughts that lead to a behavior that you want to change. So in this case, it is the nighttime eating behavior. And so you've got 8 p.m., you've got Netflix, you're wanting some chocolate. Now, the idea of thought awareness is to really think about what are you thinking in that present moment that's leading you to want to go to the pantry to get that chocolate. Secondly, identify if there's any distortion that's coming into play here. In weight management, we categorize distortions into permission thoughts or self-critical thoughts. In this case, it's a permission thought, which is very common at nighttime. Um, And so identifying the permission thought allows you to step outside of the thinking process and to really identify the unhelpful thinking pattern that's leading to the overeating. Now, the third step is to challenge your thinking. Um, This might be the most difficult part that uh, people find because you've got to ask yourself a few questions here. Now, you can ask yourself, is there any evidence that supports that this thought is actually true? This thought that um, I've had a long day, I deserve a treat. Um, Is there any evidence to support that it's true? And what's the most realistic outcome here? 
tell yourself the full story. So I run a virtual psychotherapy group with a colleague of mine named Sandra Ilya. It's called Three Sales Recovery. We have talked so much about telling yourself the full story. Now, you might tell yourself that you've had a long day. You might tell yourself that it feels really, really good in that moment to eat chocolate. But how do you typically feel moments after you eat the chocolate? How do you feel the next day? How do you feel a week later when it's been done with repetition? So tell yourself the entire story. The the third question could be that uh, you ask yourself, what's the effect of me believing this thought? And what would be the effect of me changing this thought, right? So you have, you don't have full control over the urges or the cravings that you experience. You don't even have full control over the initial thoughts that you have. But what you do have control over is the perspective and what sort of thoughts come after those automatic thoughts. The last step of the CBT process is really to come up with a realistic and rational thought to replace the automatic thought because we know that these automatic permission thoughts tend to be recurring. They tend to happen in the same place at the same time every day. Um, So the idea of coming up with a realistic rational thought is so that you kind of have it in your arsenal of tools when that permission thought comes into play again. Okay. So give us an example with the Netflix uh, example. Um, What might be a thought I could have instead of I deserve a treat? What, What might I think instead? Okay. You might think to yourself, I deserve a treat and I have had a long day. A lot of people experience a number of stressors throughout the day that um, typically are diffused by food in that moment, notably ultra processed foods, right? Um, But in keeping with the theme of telling yourself the whole story in the past, um, how has the story ended for me? Whenever I give in to chocolate every single night while watching Netflix, does it reinforce the fact that does it reinforce this craving? Does it reinforce the search? Because remember, repetition is the best form of permanence. So that could go either way. It could go in the way of good habits forming or um, habits that you want to change, right? So if you're constantly giving into this craving at nighttime with these specific environmental triggers that are um, in that in your uh, um, periphery, i.e. the TV, 8 p.m., curtains drawn, nighttime, those all those all come together. Your brain gets really good at learning that, and it makes it a lot more difficult in subsequent evenings to combat that urge if you don't stand up to it now. So that's almost an, another example of kind of telling ourselves the full story. If I can manage yes. to resist it tonight, it's going to be easier tomorrow. It's going to be much easier the next night. So you're kind of doing yeah. future me a favor by by just letting it be tonight. Yeah. And what would be different if you did manage this craving tonight? You, it, it wouldn't just be that, okay, I saved myself some calories. That's the low hanging fruit here. But if you dive a little bit deeper, you are actually building a circuit in your brain um, that allows you to take a different route when you have urges. Right, so these are the urges that often get in the way of um, people uh, managing their weight. We know that people who live with obesity and overweight; they have, like I said, vulnerabilities and sensitivities to certain triggers in their environment, whether it's stress or um, the availability of ultra-processed foods. Now, if if you're able to stand up to those impulses, um, then you may stand to do that again and again with repetition over time. This is the whole neurons that fire together, wire together. So the more I'm, the more I do it, the easier it gets for me to do every time. Yeah, it's a learned process. So like with any skill, CBT is a new skill to learn. All right, Dr. Van, let's take on a different scenario. Let's say a few months ago, I lost some weight. I was feeling really good, but I've since regained it. And, and now I'm feeling pretty defeated. How might I use CBT to help me get back on track? Yeah, this is a very common scenario. And I often will have 
my patients draw a, uh, a weight loss history curve. And the common curve, and this might resonate with your audience, is um, that of the yo-yo pattern, right? So weight cycling. And we know that, that ha- the, the weight cycling has very little to do with um, the person who's going through it. It has little to do with willpower. It has little to do with that person not wanting it enough. Um, we often see that in and times where people are regaining their weight, um, there's a metabolic adaptation that's taking place. Your body tends to want to conserve body weight. And so by doing that, it will, um, in the face of uh, dietary restriction, it will generate hunger. It will generate cravings. Your brain might start to fire in places that make you want specific foods that are higher in calories. And so people often attribute their weight regain to um, themselves. They often blame themselves. And this question is a really common one. You know, what do I do when I have these thoughts of um, feeling like it's my fault, it's shame, it's blame. And so um, we need to start building resilience. We need to take that as an opportunity to build resilience. And in doing so, education is important. Education about the biology that is involved with um, weight struggle, um, that it's not only just what you eat and how much you move, that it actually has a lot to do with the hormones that are dictated by the genes that you're born with. And this is all intertwined with the environment that you're set up in. So in response to your question, Ansley, I really want the, the person who is maybe having these thoughts or resonating with this question to consider that um, you have a condition that confers higher cravings, that confers higher hunger, and that has nothing to do with your inability to manage uh, your weight. Your weight is actually dictated a lot by things beyond your control. And so the thing that you can control is your perspective, and you can control to some degree your choice. Um, and so I would say that self-compassion, kindness, grace are important ingredients to building resilience long-term and to really give yourself that um, permission to have slips and to have setbacks because they're a normal part of the process. That's great. So so again, the thought here might be, I'm a failure. And we would replace that with another thought, something like, you know, um, you know, nobody's perfect. I'm working really hard on this. You know, this is a complicated uh, situation and, and practice using that thought instead of the more self-critical thought over and over again. Yeah, because viewing yourself through the lens of I'm a failure, like where does that get you? Um, this goes this goes back to thought challenging, right? Like, is there any evidence that this thought is actually true? Now, a participant, a client might say, um, yeah, it is true because I've yo-yoed in the past. This is really something that has gotten me time and time again. But um, if you view it from the perspective of, okay, there are things that are beyond my control in this case, right? So I've tried really, really hard. I know I put a lot of effort into it. I know I've lost some weight, but there's something that's getting me to regain it and I feel like a failure. But maybe what would happen if I actually viewed this from the perspective of, okay, setbacks are actually normal. The weight's not coming down like I'd, I'd hoped, but is there something else that I can gather from here that I can build my success on? Dr. Van, what do you tell your patients about how to avoid mindless eating? Any suggestions you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, I would ask my uh, patients typically to consider if there's any specific times of the day that they're at highest risk of overeating. And the common scenarios are mid-afternoon coffee trip, you're going for a coffee, but then, you know, those tantalizing desserts are in the stand and you grab one of those. Um, There's the pre-dinner snacking. So you're ravenous after you come home from work and then you start raiding the fridge. Uh, There's also the nighttime eating. Now your brain is very, very smart. It is really good at short circuiting to 
what's going to allow you to consume the most calories. And so really know your high risk time, know about the environmental cues that are in place because it typically happens at the same time every single day and work based on one habit at a time. So if it's the TV, if it is you being by the kitchen while you're working um, at, at through your lunch, um, if it is um, coming home and raiding the fridge, then know what sort of environment it is that is causing the that overeating behavior and maybe change the environment. Maybe set your environment up for success by only having um, whole foods available that aren't going to make your brain dance when it comes to consuming these ultra-processed foods. We know that they are designed to make your brain go bonkers for it. Speaking of kind of the diet culture that we live in today, it's problematic for a whole bunch of reasons. But one of those reasons is it really promotes the idea of kind of the all or nothing mentality, meaning I either do it perfectly or I don't do it at all. Can you talk about why this distortion isn't helpful and how we might use CBT to avoid kind of falling into that trap? Yeah. And I like that you refer to it as a distortion because it ultimately is one of the most common distortions I see in practice. And I think that it speaks to um, the diet culture as a whole. It, uh, it, the diet culture has billions of dollars devoted to making you think that this is going to be the solution. And it's not just that any diet, it might be uh, boot camps or exercise challenges. So what I often see in practice is that um, patients are looking for a diet and uh, I'm not going to stand in their way of having a diet. I'm, I'm here to help them use CBT to adhere to that dietary plan. And so uh, with that being said, if they drop off of their diet um, for reasons of I'm stressed or I'm going to a party or there's a vacation and I won't be able to stick to it, my role is really not to help them adhere specifically to the diet. My role is to really help them identify what sort of thoughts will get in your way that promote the opposite of opposite behavior of the way that you actually could see yourself living for the rest of your life and to be happy with. And so using CBT is helpful because it allows you to um, have a bit more flexibility. And instead of this black or white thinking where you're either really, really perfect or you're not doing anything at all, I encourage patients to really live in this gray zone area where they can marry these two values of health, uh, mobility, function, energy, whatever it is that's important to them about weight loss with food, friends, family, because we know that that is where joy is derived from. We know that food is celebrated in so many cultures, in all cultures, if anything, um, that social outings are typically gathered around food. So CBT allows you to find a gray area that allows you to enjoy both of those things um, without feeling that guilt, without feeling that shame. All right, Dr. Van, we know that sleep is a really important part of weight management and overall health. Can CBT be used in a way to promote better sleep? Oh, yes, of course. Sleep is in itself its own behavior. Um, so, yeah, sleep is, is really the foundation of all good health. And the reason in the context of weight management uh, I endorse sleep so heavily is because um, it helps you bolster the CBT that's required to help you manage the cravings and the urges that, that generally come along in the day-to-day. -day. Um, if you have sleep deprivation, we often find that patients suffer with more cravings, they suffer with more hunger, they have insulin, they, they may be at risk of insulin resistance. And so I would encourage one to use CBT for sleep management. And one way to do that would be to really identify 
why sleep is important to you. So I gave you a few reasons just there. Um, and then to really set up your environment so that um, it's conducive to having um, a high quality sleep. Because it's not just about how much sleep you're getting, it's about the quality of the sleep as well. And so like, diminishing screen time, not having a screen in your face one to two hours before bed, it's a hard one to, to adhere to, but you start small, right? So I myself have started with 30 minutes off of screen, uh, one hour off, and now I'm two hours off of screen before bedtime. And so that's been really helpful to my own personal health, um, diminishing that time, screen time. The other thing is to really um, set up things, set up your sleep environment so that it's so that's something you look forward to, right? So for me, I've got my diffuser, I got my lavender oil, I have a nice skincare regimen that I really look forward to. So it, this will vary according to individual, but really try to set it up so that you can you can turn off the Netflix, you can turn off the TV, and you will have no problem going to bed um, if you've got your favorite book, for instance. So um, yeah, sleep is one that I would say is is number one in my books when it comes to weight management. So we've talked a lot about how changing our thinking can help people on their weight loss journey. And I, and I think that points to a bigger reality that for many people living with overweight or obesity, eating less and moving more alone isn't always enough to help them reach a healthier weight. So can you talk a little bit about why taking that next step and seeking medical treatment is really beneficial and often necessary for people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the eat less, move more paradigm is is still commonly touted, but it's so antiquated, and and this um it's it it's it's there's been so much science and literature to su substantiate the fact that obesity is actually um, a manifestation of things beyond just what you're eating and how much you're moving. That it actually is deeply steeped in genetics. So the DNA that you're born with, the hormones that regulate your appetite and your cravings, the fact that your body is designed to um, survive in the face of famine, but that in this current environment in North America, uh, there's no longer a famine. And so there are a bunch of things that actually um, are intertwined that the person living with obesity has very little control over. And with that being said, um, seeking medical treatment is 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 a really, really um, smart way to go about treating obesity rather than just going to the, you know, a low hanging fruit diet, because it actually addresses the underlying biology that's involved with the appetite dysregulation. You might find that, um, um, and many of my patients who live with obesity will tell me that they eat much less than their, you know, their leaner counterparts. And I believe them. I, I definitely believe them. And there's something going on there that has that is well beyond what they're just eating. There's something going on beneath the surface that is deeply uh, steeped in the genetics, the biology, the, the stuff that we don't typically address with CBT alone and diet alone. Wow, Dr. Van, thank you so much for joining us tonight and sharing your very practical suggestions. I'm, I'm personally really excited to practice some CBT myself. Lovely. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much and have a great night.